Thanks, everyone. Good evening. Um, it's great. So good to be with you. Um, as Lord just said, I'm, I'm married to Kate. I've got, um, we've got three kids, two of whom are currently sort of down there in the crypt. And on behalf of all of the parents, I just want to say thanks to Cree and the team for... Um, I don't know where Cree's gone. She's gone. But um, she, oh, she's at the back. Um, yeah, such, such a blessing um, to, ha to have such an amazing youth work. And um, for all, yeah, all of you serving youth and kids, thank you. Like, thank you so much. Um, I've, I've been, um, by day I've been a primary school head teacher, but recently just changed my job. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm working for the Church of England, but not, um, not with vicars, unfortunately, but with uh, head teachers and deputy head teachers across the country looking at kind of developing Church of England schools. Um, and today we're going to be looking at the last part of our series. We've been working through a series called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Um, as, a, as a leadership team, we're really keen that at St. Nick's over the next few years, we really dig deep into discipleship. We think about what it means to have deep roots that last. And we want to grow more and more to be more and more like Jesus. And so we've been kind of journeying through this book. But over the next few years, we want to really kind of dig deep into that. Um, and today we're going to be thinking about leadership. Um, and the title of my talk I've stolen from the book, um, which, is, uh, which is this, Leading Out of Weakness and Vulnerability. That's what we're going to be thinking about. I don't know what those words mean to you. Leading, leadership, weakness, vulnerability. Um, I wanted to start a bit by unpacking um, what these words mean, because I think they can be words that we can um, kind of respond to really positively or, or have a very different response. Um, and I'm a, like I said, I've, I've been a head teacher. I trained as a math specialist, and I love, I don't know about you, but I love um, a Venn diagram. Anyone here love us of Venn diagrams? Um, so we've got one for you tonight. Um, I've taken the words from the title, and I've separated them into two circles, and you'll be pleased to know I've surrounded them by the rectangle as well. So um, I always found that that was the bit that I always forgot to do. Um, and there'd always be things that fitted outside of those things. But, but I think if, if I'm honest, as I grew up um, in my family, through school, um, definitely through university, um, I was kind of bombarded, I guess, by this thought that to, to lead or to be successful in life, it's like if you were to draw a, cur a line, it would be up kind of and to the right. That was to the left, wasn't it? Up and to the right, that way. So that sense that we're always progressing, always moving forward, that, that, um, you know, that, that when you're moving forward in a job, it's about getting more money, more responsibility. And we see around us, don't we, all kinds of examples of leadership, some that we'd want to follow, but certainly Instagram's filled with this sort of perfect situation, whether it's celebrity, artist, um, thousands of followers, this kind of lifestyle that seems unattainable. And I think we can do two things when we think about leadership. Some of us automatically count ourselves in and we think, yeah, leadership, I'm, I'm all up for that. I want to make a difference. I want to, um, I want to inspire other people. Sometimes as well, we count ourselves out. I'm um, I coach my middle son's football team. So um, one of the things I think I've done as a dad is start to live, live out some of those things I wished I'd done when I was a child. Um, and yesterday we took the team to Portishead, Portishead Town. Anyone from Portishead here? Um, and you'll be pleased to know that we beat them 4-2. But not only did we, not only did we beat them, we, we won the league. And it is a significant moment of achievement for the coaches um, and the children too. We went to McDonald's to celebrate, which is sort of... Sort of like the equivalent, I think, of getting the champagne out and in the in the Premier League. But anyway, we have this um, we have this little kind of ritual at the beginning of a game where 
we announce the captain. So just before the game starts, we kind of, we, and we try and make sure it's fair so that everyone gets to go. And the captain has got a few specific responsibilities. They have to, they have to do the, you know, the toss of the coin at the beginning. They have to choose the end that we start from or, or do we kick off. But we've kind of added in an extra responsibility, which is they have to give the halftime team talk and the final team talk. And in the halftime team talk, they have to, first of all, give specific praise around things that the children have done really well. These are, these are 10-year-olds, so we're really, we're really working this. And then they have to give developmental feedback on the second half. And so when you announce the captain at the beginning, there's, there's, there's normally two kind of expressions. Some of the boys are like absolutely wild in excitement. This is the thing they've been waiting for. But there's those other ones who kind of are excited and then they suddenly realize that with it comes this responsibility that actually they don't want. They don't want to speak in front of their friends. Um, and I think it's very much like that for us. So when you see that word leadership, I think we can count ourselves in or count ourselves out. And so I've put the word calling with it as well today because all of us, wherever we've been placed, I believe God's got a plan for us. God's specifically placed us there to make an impact, to be salt and light in the world around us. And then on the other side, in the other circle that doesn't meet, we've got these words weakness and vulnerability. And I think, and I think often we, we can either count ourselves into leadership and think, yeah, I want to go for that. And I put myself in that bracket sometimes. But I, but I don't think that the two circles in my mind always go together. I think that to lead, I have to be successful. I have to be sort of confident. I have to be full of positivity, of optimism. I don't want to show any weakness in that moment. Um, and I think then for other of us, we look at leadership and we think it's so hard to achieve that actually I've got so many frailties and weaknesses and faults, I count myself out. And so today I want to look at this whole, um, whole topic and we're going to look at Jesus um, as our kind of, I, I guess, the person that we want to, we want to see, um, spend time with, respond to, become like. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I've just, like I said, recently changed my job, and I had like a couple of days in between, and I and I thought um, I'd spend some time reflecting on the kind of journey that I went on in my previous job. Um, I became one of the youngest head teachers in the local area at, um, when I was 32. Um, and, and, I'm, and I remember being in the newspaper in, in I think it was like some sort of South Gloucestershire um, newspaper that nobody reads. But I remember there was a little photo of me um, with, a little, with a little story. Um, and, um, and I think I'd even exceeded any of my own goals that I set. And I remember the moment when I got the phone call off me of the job. And it's one of the first times in my life I've literally not had anything to say. Um, someone thought it was a good idea to put a whole load of children's future in my hands. And, um, and I think, like I've said, my upbringing had taught me to live, I think, a bit behind a mask, to appear self-confident, to face every challenge with a brave face, and that actually every challenge that you face, you can just overcome by working harder, by digging deeper, by staying positive, by being optimistic. And it got me all the way to there, it got me that far. And I knew also that God had called me to that, to that place. And so in my mind, leadership was this circle on the left, being strong, being courageous, being positive, Powerful, I suppose, in some ways, determined to make a difference and rising to every challenge. And weakness and vulnerability was well off to the other side. And in my mind, at that point, I didn't think you could do the two together. But after about 12 months in, after tackling challenge after challenge, the school I took over was in an Ofsted category. Um, I hit a wall, to be perfectly honest. We had three children. And like I've talked about, Johnny, my youngest, was six weeks old when I started. And I was tired, stressed, I was inexperienced. I didn't have any idea what I was doing. Um, and I tried to keep that mask on of strength, positivity, and confidence. But I got to a point when all I wanted to do was just to quit. All I wanted was a job 
and where I could kind of put my headphones in, be be by myself, whatever I was doing, and not have to speak to anyone in a work context ever again. And I remember I got to this moment where um, I, I think we went out for dinner with Kate, and I and I'd not really talked to her about it. I not even wanted to let my mask down to the person that I'd married, which is embarrassing in itself. Um, and looking back on it, it seems really stupid, because all along. Like, I knew that I needed, I couldn't do it all in my own strength. And if you'd come to me as a friend and talked to me at that point, I would have counseled you the same thing. I would have explained that to you. But for some reason, I was living something different. Um, And actually, what I realized was that this direction I'd been traveling in wasn't working. And what I needed to do was make these two circles overlap. And sometimes you see Venn diagrams where the middle bit crosses over a little bit. But actually, these two circles need to go right on top of each other. Because when you put these words together, leadership or calling, weakness and vulnerability, what you actually get is emotional health. What you actually get is growth. And what you actually find is space where God can move, space for his power and his presence. And a kind of bonus on the top is you also get authentic connection with other people because the masks come down. And it's a really powerful combination for for both yourself and the people around you. And so that's my story. That moment when I kind of let the mask slip, I kind of invited God into into that situation. I realized that I couldn't do it myself. Um, And then the rest of the story was never easy. I think I kept veering to one side, but actually managed to lead through challenge and change. And so today we're going to look at this title. How do we lead? How do we step into our calling, but in weakness and vulnerability? And we're going to turn in our Bibles to probably, I think, the greatest example in history of this, um, leadership and weakness and vulnerability. Um, you might have read Brené Brown, um, who talks a lot about how you lead with vulnerability, but this is way better than Brené Brown. Um, it's Jesus. And in the context, as we, as we step near to Easter, we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you can turn to Mark chapter 12, um, it's going to come up on the screen as well, but if you've got a Bible, do have a look. Mark chapter 12, verse 36. And actually, I'm just going to pray before we read this. Lord Jesus, I want to invite you right here tonight. And I want to invite you to shape our hearts. Come and speak to us, Lord. Come and teach us tonight. Come and make us more like you, I pray. Fill this place, I pray, with your presence, Lord. Help us to encounter you as we we think about um, this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen. So let me read this. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. So if you think in that context, he's taken some of his closest friends with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, this is Jesus, the the creator of the world, like the, the most powerful person who could have lived on his knees in a moment. It says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. This is, this is a little bit of a funny moment, really, in that context. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so then he goes off a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing. So you've got here in this story Jesus, who's fully God, but fully man. These two circles we've talked about absolutely overlapping each other, other vulnerable and weak, but called and committed. He knew the journey that was ahead of him, but he was totally connected with his emotions, his weakness, his frailty, and his fear. And in doing so, he modeled a totally different style of leadership to what he found around him, to the might and the power of the Roman Empire. You know, we're talking about discipleship. We've got this phrase, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. How do we follow in his example? How do we step into our calling, like fully into the things that God's got for us? being all that we can be in all of the different places God's put us. But how do we do that in weakness and vulnerability? And so we're going to look at three things today to take away, I guess, as ways of stepping in and following in the footsteps of Jesus. And the first one is this, get a theology of weakness. And I guess in terms of theology, I'm thinking, what's our perspective? What's shaping our mindset? You see, through the Bible, God's vulnerability is shown all the way through the pages, um, even from the beginning when he chooses Adam and Eve, actually, and, and he allows them to have freedom and choice. Vulnerability kind of enters the story. And then through the Old Testament, you see time and time again, people um, who are weak, people who are flawed, people who are imperfect, stepping into the story. You could literally just keep reading names. Here's some examples. Abraham, Sarah, Rahab, Ruth. You get Moses, who's described in the Bible in Numbers as a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, so, like considerably weak and vulnerable. But we're going to look at two characters today um, who I want us, I guess I want them to flip our understanding of leadership um, through this and what it means to be an authentic disciple. And we're going to start with Jesus. Because God came to earth not in a flashy show of signs and wonders, but he came as a baby, born in poverty, born in obscurity. And we're going to move, we're going to, we could go through his life again, but we're going to think about this time um, as we build up to Easter. He came into Jerusalem, you probably know the story, Palm Sunday. He came again in the face of a Roman empire, um, a Roman regime marked with displays of strength and power. He chose to ride not on a magnificent horse, like someone like Alexander the Great, but on a humble donkey. And he allowed himself to be arrested and treated like a common criminal. And then in the passage we see in Gethsemane, we see this incredible example in Jesus' life of leadership, of weakness and vulnerability. I'm just going to read two of these um, verses again. And just as I do, imagine yourself there with him. Um, it's extraordinary, like his humanity on display in front of us. It says this, sit here while I go and pray. And then he took Peter and, his, and the sons of Zebedee away and he was sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then this is an amazing thing to say, yet not as I will, but as you will. It's just an astonishing insight into his life, his emotions, his anxiety, his fear, all emotions that we'll identify with, his worries. If you've ever felt that to be a leader, or actually even to be a Christian, um, you have to cover up your weakness, your anxiety, your frailty and your fears. Or if you feel like 
um, those things disqualify yourself from stepping into your calling. Well, Jesus shows you something totally different. We see Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, on his knees with his face to the ground, bringing everything with his friends actually around him, which is just a really good thing to remember, to his father, the one who knows him, the one who loves him, the one who's called him. And it's incredible that in that moment, his prayer is still this, yet not my will, but yours. Jesus knows his frailty, he knows his weakness, but more than that, he knows his father. He's secure in his father's love and he knows his calling. So that's the first person I wanted just to quickly look at. Then the second is David. Um, You probably know David through the story of David and Goliath. David was a king. He had all kinds of victories through his life. Um, And he's described in the Bible, one of the most amazing descriptions is a man after God's own heart. Um, Someone who we would look up to and aspire to. But despite defeating Goliath, despite winning all kinds of victories, probably the most significant moment in his life um, I think is when we see his heart revealed, not in triumph, but um, in, in an absolutely massive failure, moral failure, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then if that wasn't enough, he arranges for um, her husband to be killed in battle, Uriah. And just after this happens, he gets confronted by a prophet called Nathan. Um, and when he gets confronted, it's fascinating what he does. David doesn't deny it. He doesn't cover it up. He doesn't try to erase the memory of it. Instead, he repents. But even more than repenting, he does something crazy in some ways. He writes a song about it. Um, and that song is written then in the Psalms, and it becomes part of the hymn book for, the, for God's people. And we read it, and we might sing about it even today. I wonder how many of us, after sort of any sort of failure like that, would, des- would decide to do the same and pen it in a song and then sing it to other people. He wrote this in Psalm 51. You, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, and you, God, will not despise. I think he wrote that, and he could do that because, he, again, he knew his father. He knew that he could come to his father like that, and he knew how he would respond to him. And so from David, we learn the importance of speaking up about our failures and our struggles. St. Nick's needs to be a place where you can do that, where you can take the mask off, when you can open up and you can find a safe place to do that. And I wonder whether you've got friends or people that you can, you can do that with. If not, I'd love to encourage you to get stuck in, get stuck into a small group or into one of the, one of the student groups or 20s groups or maybe find a mentor um, or if none of those things kind of apply, come to the front one day and just, just, just ask someone to pray with you. Um, there's, a, there's a quote in the book that I wanted just to read out from um, Pete Scazzaro and he just sums up David in, a, in an amazing way. David knew that acknowledging imperfections was critical not only for his own spiritual health, but for the health of those people around him, those people he led. His life embodied God's message that Israel's existence as a people was based on the love and the mercy of God and not on their own performance. And if God can use a person like David, forgiving him of such a massive breach of integrity, God can use everyone, even you and me. So my first point tonight is this, get a theology of weakness You can do that by reading through the Bible or even as you come to Easter, why don't you spend a bit of time just following the story of Jesus and seeing him, his kind of leadership in action. Let it shape us and kind of inspire us as we go towards the cross. The second point um, is this, embrace the gift of your limp. And I didn't make this up, this came from the book as well. So I thought I'd stick with it. 
Um, another character we come across in the Bible is Paul in the New Testament. He's probably um, one of the most influential Christians ever to have lived after Jesus. He's written nearly half the New Testament and he's planted churches um, that have continued to plant and grow and grow and even are going to be planted um, coming forward this year in, uh, in Concord, which is very exciting, isn't it? Um, but Paul talked in 2 Corinthians 12 about an area of weakness or vulnerability. He called it his thorn in the flesh. And I, I don't really know what that means. Um, but I think it's probably like an illness or a physical weakness, something that limited him. It could have been a disease. But as you read Paul's life, as he gets more and more successful, as more starts happening... It's really interesting. He seems to become more and more aware of his own weakness. In fact, just before he dies, in 1 Timothy 1, he writes this. I'm the worst of all sinners. And you kind of compare yourself to Paul and, and wonder how he gets to that point. But he saw his weakness to be a sign of God, give, God's given leadership and authority. He writes this as well. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when the world sees weakness and failure as a liability, as a risk, God sees our weakness and vulnerability as a gift. And when we count ourselves out because of our frailty and our weakness, God looks at us as a father and counts you in. In fact, he says this, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And over time, Paul grew in his understanding of this, his understanding of the love of God too, and he became stronger in Christ by embracing his weakness rather than like running away from it or hiding it. And the world will never understand this kind of kingdom. You know, the Bible talks about some things like this. The first will be last. The weak will be blessed. The humble will be exalted. The empty are filled. The poor will be rich. And when things seem impossible, um, there's space for a miracle. Our weaknesses are not something that we need to be healed but there's something that we need to embrace as our greatest strength. You might have seen or come across um, this, the Japanese pottery um, technique called kintsugi. I know Toby talked about it a while back. And just as I was kind of thinking this through, it kind of really inspired me. And, I, um, and it's, an art, it's an art form where they take broken bits of pottery and join it together using like a resin that is packed with gold powder. And kintsugi means to join with gold. And when you see a piece of pottery like the one on the screen, what's really interesting is actually what's emphasised is the brokenness, the damage, the flawed. And the art of Kintsugi reflects, I found out, the Japanese philosophy, and I'm not going to pronounce this right, so, so tell, tell me afterwards, but it's called Wabi Sabi, which is about seeing beauty in the flawed. That's what I'm going for anyway. So seeing beauty in the flawed, the damaged, the imperfect. And so when you see pottery like this, you're sort of looking into its history. You're looking into its brokenness, the things that have gone wrong. And actually, it's, it's then seen as more elegant, more beautiful. It's actually worth more than it ever would have been at the beginning. And I think God sees us today through the same eyes, like our lives are a work of kintsugi themselves. Because we've all got areas, haven't we, that are broken, that have been shattered. But as we come to God, he crafts them back together. Our cracks are sealed with gold um, from the master artist, our creator. So I guess my message as we finish this second point is this. Don't count yourself out of God's plans or your calling or even leadership because of your weakness, your failures and your faults. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power 
is from God and not from us. So the second point, embrace your frailty, your weakness, embrace the gift of your limp. And finally, um, the third one is this, practice vulnerability daily. So how do we then live like in this space? How do we step into our calling, into leadership, but doing it with weakness and vulnerability, whether it's in church here, whether it's in our workplace, in our university, in our family. And I think I want to suggest that we do it by practicing it every day, practicing vulnerability daily and adopting a different posture. It's really interesting that we see Jesus um, in the Garden of Gethsemane adopting an incredible posture of surrender, one to the Father. Um, I'm always tempted to avoid vulnerability. It's never nice, is it, to open yourself up in front of other people, particularly when you might be leading them or when you might be alongside them. Um, I always want to cover it up, put the mask on. And so you have to work at this and practice it, and it takes courage. And I wonder what it looks like for you. I thought I'd try to think of a few kind of practical ways that we can do it. I think one of the things that I think helps is stopping and reflecting and asking God other, or even other people to show you your own weaknesses and vulnerability. One of the best mirrors that I've ever had to sort of look into um, is, is through getting married and having kids. Um, I think I've never been more aware of my weakness, my inadequacies than, than I am now. I look around and you see um, other parents or families, particularly thinking about myself here, whether it's on Instagram or in real life, and I kind of think, why is it that they can leave the house in like such a calm and organised manner? And when you see my children coming out and, and the noise that's echoing around the street, um, and you look at them and you think, I could, I could never do that. Um, so how do you practice vulnerability daily? How do you accept your failings and kind of walk into them? Well, a couple of things that I've done. One is just got a group of friends, a group of other dads who are in a similar life stage to me. And we've started meeting up regularly, like once a month, talking about parenting, talking about family, and just recognizing that we're all in it together. A place where you can be open, a place where you can be vulnerable, a place where you can find people to encourage and pray. But I think the other thing that I've learned I've had to do is I have to apologize. Like, to Kate regularly and to my kids probably more often than I should for, for, for losing my temper, for losing my rag, for, for letting them down in different ways, for um, being on my phone when I shouldn't be. Um, all of those kind of things, I think it's really important to model that in the context that you're in. What about in the workplace? I don't know how many of you are, um, are kind of working in, a, in an office environment or different places or maybe even leading in that. Um, I think it's the same thing like I've just talked about really. But I think it's trying to find moments to, to model and show vulnerability and weakness. I think sometimes workplaces can be the very hardest places to do this. Places where it's very hard to drop the mask for all kinds of different reasons. Um, I've just, like I said, started a new job on, on Thursday. We're, we're kind of like a remote team across the country. But Thursday is my first team meeting. So I've got people coming from across the country. And I want to set the scene. And it's just been fascinating as I've been doing this talk. Because I hadn't thought about vulnerability until obviously I was writing this myself. But I've been thinking, how do I make sure that three hours I've got on Thursday is not just setting a really exciting vision for the future and talking about how we're going to you know, conquer the world but also opens up space for us to set that culture as a team of being open and vulnerable. So 
I'm thinking of ways that we can create space, maybe in smaller groups on Thursday, to talk about how work's going, to talk about some of the challenges, some of the, some, some of the things that we're facing. And I wonder whether what that might look like for you in your workplace. I wonder if you're leading a team, how can you lead it in a way that models vulnerability and weakness um, and, and not just kind of putting the mask on? How do we create the space and create really healthy teams? I, I don't know what that might mean for you. Maybe just even this week ahead, have a little think, in your, th- think right now, whether it's at university or in the workplace or in my family, how can I model this? How can I demonstrate it? How can I put it into practice? And then I was thinking thirdly about church. You know, this should be the safest place to open up. This really should be the safest place to share our weaknesses, to say we're struggling, to confess to close friends the times when we messed up, we got, when we got it wrong. But I think all too often church can be a really hard place to do that as well. When we worry that someone will judge us or people will think differently of us. But we want St. Nick's to be a family, to be the safest place to be ourselves and to let the mask off and be open and vulnerable. Um, If you're in a small group, if you're leading a small group, how can you create that environment? Like think through the ways that you can do that, how you can model it and how you can create safety as well. Um, I did knock Brené Brown earlier, didn't I, when I compared her to Jesus, but she's written this quote, which I thought was, was great, and I'll share it with you now. Imperfections are not inadequacies. They're reminders that we're in this together. And I, there's that sense of, of vulnerability and weakness that joins us together, and, and, and we recognize that we can't do this by ourselves. And it's fascinating that Jesus, who's on his face in front of his father, is surrounded by his closest friends, although we could probably do a better job than going to sleep on your friends who are, um, who are sharing their, 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 their worries. And these steps aren't easy. It takes courage, but I genuinely think it's a space where together we can then build something beautiful as a church. But I think of, uh, on top of all of those practical things is one thing that I think we need to do every day, which will sort of trump all of those, because I think vulnerability comes from taking a place of daily surrender, And just like Jesus, first and foremost, getting down on our knees in front of our Father in heaven and opening up to him and coming to him. Um, And I'd like to suggest, I want to challenge you, I guess, tonight, that probably the most transformational place where you can bring your weakness and vulnerability is to make time and space in your diary for Jesus and surrendering to him every day. You know, if Jesus himself has to get before his Father on his knees, how much more do we need to do that? You know, Jesus, knowing the calling ahead of him, but openly and honestly, he's there weeping, expressing his weakness, his fears, and his anxieties. And I want to encourage us to practice vulnerability with other people, but first and foremost, to practice it with Jesus. It's a daily act of worship, surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus, bringing our whole self, our joys, our struggles, our victories, our weaknesses, and our defeats, to live our lives daily like we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, kneeling before the Father, knowing the love of the Father, committed to our calling, like wanting to walk out the thing he's called us to, but doing it in weakness and fragility. Because I believe in that place of surrender, we'll find everything that we need. Acceptance, forgiveness, like unconditional and unrelenting love. And it's in this place of surrender, I think that Jesus builds his kingdom through broken people like you and I. And as I was praying about this last night, um, I came across, you know on Spotify when it plays a song that you don't know that's coming and it sort of turns up. And there was a new song that was released by a church in Birmingham on, on Friday called Foundations. 
Um, and there was three lyrics that sort of hit me like right between the eyes as I was preparing this. And I just want to read it to you because I feel like God wants to say this to some of us tonight. Like when we think about our weakness and our challenges and the things, the, th- the places where we're broken, the places where we're failing. Um, let me just read this. When I feel like ruins, you see foundations to build your kingdom here. And as we think about our weakness and we think about maybe we look at our life and we see ruins, like God sees like foundations. God sees that to be the place where he wants to build our kingdom, not, not in strength and the amazing things that we can do and, and, you know, the stuff we might stick on Instagram. He wants to meet us right where we are in our weakness and in our brokenness. And so I'd love us um, just to stand together. I'm going to pray. I wonder if the band could come up. Um, I'd love us to pray, and then I'm going to talk just quickly about how I think we should respond tonight. Um, and I wonder, just before I do pray, why don't you just just allow a little bit of space for a moment for God to speak? Why don't you ask him what he might want to say to you tonight? Why don't you invite him, just yourself, into, into this space tonight? Um, his spirit's here with us tonight. His kingdom is being built. And, and, um, and just open your heart to him just for a moment before I pray. Yeah, just just reminded that um, that he's here with us right now. The same Jesus that we read about in the Garden of Gethsemane um, is right amongst us right now by his Spirit, and um, and just encourage you to open your heart to him. Lord Jesus, I thank you that um, you're here right now. I thank you that you're here by your Spirit. I thank you that we come to you like Jesus, our Father in heaven who loves us, who gave himself for us, who accepts us, like whatever we bring tonight, Lord, you welcome us, you accept us. Like the, like the prodigal son coming home, you, you welcome us home, you come running to meet with us. Lord, I thank you in these moments of like encounter, Lord, everything can change. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, where we see ruins, Lord Jesus, in our lives, where we see weakness and frailty and vulnerability, I thank you that you see foundations Lord and you want to build your kingdom in that place in our brokenness in our fragility in our weakness that's where you want to meet us thank you that's where your power is made perfect so Lord I pray come tonight and meet with each one of us